0: We're going to look at another Jesus story. And this may be one of Jesus' most familiar stories. I'll just say turn to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. And stick your finger in that. And as we get ready to read from the word of God. A young couple was riding the Q train into Brooklyn. This was December 2007, one Friday night, when they were greeted with Merry Christmas. That seems normal at Christmas time. Being Jewish, the young man answered, Happy Hanukkah. Uh oh. There were like 14 of them. And it appeared that some of the group took offense to that reply because immediately one guy rolled up his sleeve showing the young couple his Jesus tattoo before he started calling them dirty Jews and Jesus killers. That doesn't add up, does it? It doesn't really make sense to show them that you're a follower of Jesus and then start calling them names. Well, a 20-year-old Muslim man on the train... Uh, Hussain Asghari um, couldn't just sit by and do nothing fearing for the woman's safety he pushed one guy aside and in response the whole gang pounced on this 5 foot 7 140 pound Bangladeshi they gave the two victims time that gave the two victims time to pull the subway's emergency brake and call for help Askari received two black eyes and a sore nose for his efforts but never went to a doctor because he worked two jobs and he couldn't really afford to go to the doctor. The 23-year-old Jewish man, Walter Adler, received a broken nose and required four stitches for a split lip. Walter said that he was surprised that the Muslim man would put his own life at risk to help him. And when the subway Train stopped, the police boarded and arrested 10 out of the 14 that were involved, two of them had previously been arrested for racial crimes. After the ordeal, Askari and Walter broke bread together at a festival of tree celebration, a Muslim and a Jew together. It might be obvious what story we're going to listen to from Jesus. It's one of his most famous stories. We know it as the Good Samaritan. Let's turn to Luke chapter 10 and starting at verse 30. Luke chapter 10, starting at verse 30. A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a certain priest came down that road, and when... He saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked, passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And so he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, take care of him and whatever more you spend when I come again, I will repay you. And so which one of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among thieves? And he said, he who showed mercy on him. And then Jesus said, go and do likewise. Well, we're going to look at five things. We're going to look at uh, critical context. We're going to look at personal crisis. We're going to look at hard-hearted clerics. We're going to look at selfless compassion. And we're going to look at challenging calling. Those five things we're going to look at. And so, starting at critical context. I want to read the context because it's so very important you don't we don't get the story we don't understand the story without the context well we kind of do but we we don't get the full meaning of the story and so here's the context starting at verse 25 and behold a certain lawyer stood up and tested him saying teacher what shall i do to inherit eternal life and he said to him what is written in the law What is your reading of it? And so he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Well, so a certain lawyer stood up and tested him this question didn't come up right out of the blue it just wasn't it 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 wasn't for a long time the lawyers and, and these lawyers they're they're actually um they're trained in the jewish law the the writings the 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 prophets and the psalms and the and they're trained in that law. This isn't like Roman law. This is Jewish law. And so, and this unofficial contest as to see who would, and, and, and this is how I see it. They don't like Jesus very much because he's not like them. Right? And so there's this unofficial contest to see who can stump jesus who can get him to say something wrong who can trick him who can get him uh, to 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 say something that isn't part of their law and so this lawyer just happens to take the time to stand up and ask this difficult question now of all the questions he could have asked this is a good question it's a big one unfortunately he didn't care he didn't care for himself because he thought he was keeping the law. He thought that he had eternal life already. And so, But doesn't everyone struggle with the answer to that question? If they don't, they should. Earlier, earlier this year, billionaire Brian Johnson took his 17-year-old son and a 70-year-old father and they went to a clinic. And they did some exchanging Well, the seventeen-year-old didn't get anything, but he gave some of his. He gave a whole. They took a whole liter of blood out of him, and 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 they put it into his dad, and his dad's blood they put into his dad, and so this was a three generational thing. And and what they did it involved in separating the good components in the blood, and, and 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 putting them transfusing them into the other person. Right? And this process, I mean, it was quite a, a, a process. And as a matter of fact, this Brian, this, he's a billionaire. Um, he, I, I think something in software, I think he developed. And so he spends $2 million a, a year, $2 million a year on a routine to make him feel and look younger. $2 million! He's 46 years old. He claims to have the heart of a 37-year-old, the skin of a 28-year-old, and the lung capacity of an 18-year-old. What does he really want? Eternal life. He wants to live longer. He wants to live a, a, a better quality life. He doesn't want to get old. He's not going to get it that way. He won't. And so the lawyer's question is a big one. It's relevant, and it's still relevant today. People are looking to live longer and look younger. I read an article put out by Pfizer. <laughs> no name on the article. It just says the Pfizer, uh, it, like it's it, it signed the Pfizer staff nobody I think everybody's afraid to put their name on stuff now Um, but there's no doubt that they're researching um, human genetics to identify ways to manipulate what God has created in order to extend life this is what Pfizer is doing don't be surprised if they come out with a vaccine to help you live longer don't be surprised so why didn't he stop there and this is the question the lawyer says i mean so jesus tells him you know you you've you've got it right love god love your neighbor yeah you that's a good answer he's and and why didn't he just say yes thank you jesus no because he was looking for some and and the bible says that he wanted to justify himself right and so he says and who is my neighbor he just couldn't stop he couldn't stop there it's clear that he wasn't sincere in his questioning it wasn't his question wasn't for his own spiritual well-being he didn't want to grow in 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 spiritual matters he didn't want to grow he thought he was there he thought he was already keeping the law what more do i have to do i'm you, you know and as we see legally when Jesus turned the question around, he knew the answer. Jesus and the lawyer, they agreed on that point. This is what you have to do. You have to love God with everything you've got and then love your neighbors yourself. There was no disagreement there. In fact, Jesus tells him plainly that if he could put this into practice, that he would live. So why didn't he stop there? Why does Luke tell us that he wanted to justify himself? Here's the reason. As an expert in Old Testament law, he had a clear understanding as to what was required. He knew what was required. But at the same time, he was also aware that he fell dreadfully short of fulfilling those requirements. He couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. At this point, he's got three choices. Number one, he can acknowledge that he's unable to live up to the demands of the law, admit that he's a sinner, and appeal to God for mercy. He could do that. He says, I, you know, Jesus, I can't do this. I've tried. I've tried and I can't do it. I'm a sinner. I'm a failure. I'm a failure when it comes to the law. The second thing he could do is he could concentrate on the things that he could do well. He might have been doing that. And maybe some, and overlook those other stuff. You know, the shortcomings, pretending that he's really not a failure in those things. Maybe the good will outweigh the bad. Maybe. doesn't work that way. Or third, he can lower the bar. he could lower the standards of the law the law's requirements by reinterpreting them with the lower standards he's certainly able to keep the entirety of the law and this is what he chose he chose lowering the standards of the law so that he could actually keep them because he couldn't he couldn't keep the standards of the law this is the third option and that's what the lawyer did And in doing this, and in saying this, and asking the question, who's my neighbor? He's exposed his rotten heart. He's exposed it. And so to drive home the point, Jesus isn't fooled. Jesus knows exactly what's going on. And so to drive home the point, Jesus tells this story. So in the spring of this year, personal crisis, in the spring of this year, a new survey was published by Ledger. In the survey, they found that two-thirds of Canadians believe violent crime is visibly worse than before COVID. One-fifth say they feared for their own safety in the last six months. One out of every 20 said they had personally been assaulted even in the confines of our own municipality, in the last couple of weeks, there's been three police chases. Three of them. In the news, we hear of random stabbings on public transportation. Most people hesitate to pick up a hitchhiker. Most thieves wait until dark or used to at least they used to wait until dark until no one is around before they strike I was in Calgary a week and a half ago I went into the grocery store just for a couple of minutes just to get my beloved coffee beans (laughs) didn't take very long when I came out somebody had been in the back of my truck looking to steal stuff the, the tailgate was still open i couldn't believe it and there was something to steal but he couldn't carry it it was too heavy it was like 90 pounds he says oh, i'm not taking that <clears throat> apparently he didn't have a car but um yeah i felt so violated i mean people the thieves are getting braver and braver They they don't don't wait for dark anymore they don't wait till nobody's home anymore They'll come in the day while somebody's home. Why is this happening? Because of our economy, the lax criminal justice system here in Canada. Crime is on the increase. They have no respect for anybody's property. That's criminals. And they're getting bolder. And they don't care if they would take a life. Life means nothing to them. It's not precious to them. All they're doing is thinking of themselves and and their own needs or wants. This is the reality of where Jesus goes with his story. There are evil men in the world with evil intentions. The road between Jerusalem and Jericho was well known for its dangers. This particular road was 17 miles long and it was steep. Jericho is near the Dead Sea. It's actually, Jericho is actually 1,300 feet below sea level. 1,300 feet below. Jerusalem is 2,300 feet above sea level. And so that's a, for 17 miles, that's a quite a steep trip, right? And it's, and that means a person is going to be going through this wilderness, a desolate road that drops 3,600 feet in altitude, The road was narrow with ravines, cliffs, caverns, and sharp turns along the way, perfect for an ambush. Anyone traveling on this road was taking their life into their own hands. It was so bad that the road was nicknamed the Red Way or the Bloody Way. So when Jesus told this story, the people that he was telling the story to the people that were listening, they knew exactly what he was talking about. They knew the road, and they knew how dangerous it was. And so they could enter into the story with some knowledge, right? And so although the text doesn't say the people Jesus was telling the story to would have assumed that the traveler was a Jewish man, the question in their minds might have been, if the road was so dangerous, why in the world was this man traveling alone in those days they would they would come together and they they would group together and they would travel in large groups for protection and this man didn't do this perhaps this man created his own crisis because of his poor decision making does that mean that we are to somehow exclude this man from god's grace because he made a poor choice You know, a lot of people think that. Uh, You know, they've made poor choices in their life. You know, why should we help them? It's their own fault. I'm not going to extend grace to him because he did it. He made the bad choice, and now he's got to pay. Right? And then we won't help them, right? That's not right. I really like Jeanette Scott's rewrite of the 23rd Psalm. Part of it reads like this. Your delight and enjoyment of me invite me and draw me out of my shame, for I am dirty before you. Still you smile at me and give me the gift of your presence. You grow a solid center within me as I am honest with you. You honor me with gifts in my ordinary life. You erase the shame of my dirt with your smile, regardless of whether I was given the dirt or created it myself. I love that line. Regardless, see, grace is extended to us whether we're at fault or whether it just happened by accident. Grace is extended. The traveling man was beat up and he was robbed. He lost everything, even the clothes he was wearing. The shirt on his back, he's described as half-dead. As a matter of fact, that term half-dead is only used here in Jesus' story. It's never used anywhere else in Scripture. Well, we've got some hard-hearted clerics. Hard-hearted clerics. There are two that came upon the half-dead man before the Samaritan came. It's interesting to note that both men would be considered religious. When Israel came to possess the land that was given to them as an inheritance, there was one tribe that received no land. That was the Levites. They received no land. They were God's servants, and it was their job to serve all of the other tribes. And this is from Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 1 and 2. The Levitical priests, indeed the whole tribe of Levi, are to have no allotment or inheritance with Israel. They shall live on the food offerings presented to the Lord, for that is their inheritance. They shall have no inheritance among their fellow Israelites. The Lord is their inheritance, as he promised them. The Lord is their inheritance. Yeah, that is really that is special. They are they were chosen specifically to serve all of the other tribes, and they were dispersed among all the other tribes to serve them. They were the civil servants of the day. But not only that, but they were the they were the religious leaders of the day. And the The priests came out of the Levites, and so the priests and Levites were all from the family of Levi. And the priests served at the altar, and the Levites served at the temple generally. These men would serve the temple in rotation. The tribe of Levi was scattered throughout, and so many of them had to travel. Many of them would have stayed in Jericho. That would have been their home, some of them, right? So the priest, excuse me, the priest, if he was going to serve in the temple, could not, according to the law, he could not come into the contact into contact with a dead person and serve. In fact, he would be he he would probably be lose his position as a priest if he came into the contact with a dead body and and touched it. And except for the case of a close relative like his mom or dad or his wife Uh, he was strictly forbidden to defile himself with the dead others in the community would have to look after funerals as far as looking after the body but he was strictly forbidden as a priest to have anything to do with the dead body according to Leviticus chapter 21 and so the man looked like he was dead and so what should he do? dead or almost dead right and so he decided to have absolutely nothing to do with him. and he kept on walking he he thought in, in in his own mind he said i can't take this chance right he was just following right just following the law in his mind right <clears throat> the levite didn't have as good an excuse as the priest did and he actually went and took a look unbelievable unbelievable he actually took a look and perhaps he was afraid that the robbers were still in the vicinity fear is a powerful force isn't it when we lived up north we brought a homeless man into the home for the night I wasn't afraid (laughs) I was bigger than him we fed him and we tried to get him a ride to the closest city and we had a ride for a little bit but fear but fear said "Um, we've changed our mind we don't think it's safe and so he was on his own he had to hitchhike we really don't blame them like I felt bad for the homeless man though because we had a ride and, and, and somebody was going there and lots of room in their vehicle and but fear fear is a powerful motivator and so <clears throat> why didn't they stop these the priest and the Levite why didn't they stop should we consider them as bad men because they didn't stop heartless fearful perhaps the best way to describe these religious men would be busy they were busy busy They had a schedule and helping a half-dead man would be an inconvenience. They had no time for that. How often have I had no time for someone's emergency because I'm busy? Someone has a need or am I inconvenienced because of somebody's need? We agree that these people need help and hope that someone else will help them in their time of need, but we're just too busy. And so these are the hard-hearted clerics. Well, then there's the selfless compassion. By this time, the people listening to Jesus' story are really, really engaged. (laughs) The, The religious people, the people that are supposed to be their examples, the people that are supposed to be teaching them, they just walked right by. And, and you know in particular because they have felt judged and dirty by the religious elite they kind of maybe like the fact that Jesus makes them out to be kind of not so good in the story and who will find the wounded man this is a, they're just totally engaged in who will find this man? Who is going to help him? Who will the next traveler be? And probably somebody just like us. Probably just an ordinary person. Somebody just like us. They were thinking a regular person, a shepherd, maybe a carpenter, maybe a laborer. And then so when Jesus said, then the Samaritan came by. Yeah, they, they, all of their... Uh, Huh? It's like, what? A Samaritan happens to be the hero? We call this story the Good Samaritan, but to the first century Jew, there was no such thing. A Samaritan was not good. In modern times, we would think. Of all kinds of people that might fit this group, members of ISIS maybe, the Hells Angels or Hezbollah. I mean, these people, they're not good. These are not good people. In John chapter 8, Jesus was teaching in the temple. He told them that he was the light of the world and that if any man, anyone didn't believe in him, that they would die in their sins. That's pretty heavy. John chapter 8. The Pharisees really got riled up. Insinuating that he was born as a result of fornication, that's what they were saying they were they were just they were just angry at Jesus. This is what they said. We were right about you, what we say about you that you are a Samaritan, and that you have a demon whoa they, <laughs> so they were the The religious leaders were calling jesus a samaritan and 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 that he had a demon they didn't like jesus one little bit and so by that you can kind of understand what the jews felt about the samaritans they didn't like them they had they had no use for them half breeds cultish in their worship samaritans the trash of the earth right there are three things that the Samaritan did when he saw the wounded man. The three, three ways that he cared for the wounded man. He cared. First, he had compassion. Now, compassion, th- this compassion was immediate. He hadn't even gone up to take a close look first. It was obvious that the wounded man was in a crisis Isn't it interesting that it is often said of Jesus that when he saw whatever he saw, the people wandering without a shepherd or somebody that was sick, what does it say? He had compassion. Interesting that the scripture says that Jesus had compassion. For example, seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd that's matthew nine thirty six. the bible doesn't define words like compassion like like the some of the bible words that that are used it's not like a dictionary and we can find a find a definition but this word compassion the bible shows us what it really means in the context of its use when jesus had compassion it always resulted in action When Jesus had compassion, it always resulted in action. Therefore, to have compassion means to empathize with someone who is suffering and to feel compelled to reduce that suffering. You want to do something about it. You want to help them. You want to do what you can for them. The second thing that the Samaritan did was he took courage. The Samaritan showed courage in a number of ways even though the situation was still dangerous obviously the samaritan had things that could be stolen because he paid he had a he had an animal and he paid for the man's expenses and so he he was he was also in danger himself right he but he stopped to take action self-centeredness took a back seat to giving The other way he took courage and we're assuming the injured man was a Jew was to helping someone he had no use for himself. He put any prejudice aside and did the right thing. He wasn't concerned about his reputation or receiving a bad name for helping a Jew. The third thing, so he had compassion, he took courage, and then he made a commitment. Three things how he cared for this man sometimes I think it's too easy to give a little money to a cause and then feel good that you've done your part with no other commitment other than that what if everyone who calls New Hope their church did that Well, we'll just give a little money and that's you know I'm good right we wouldn't have a very nice church would we that's not commitment We'd be a sorry state. No, this man was committed to helping someone he didn't know, a man from a different race, a man from a different religion, and made a commitment to see him back on his feet, restored to health and whole. He is freely expressing undeserved and unexpected love to a person in need. He really showed love to this man. Well, that's a challenging calling for us, isn't it? In the end, Jesus challenged the question, uh, changed the question. It's not who is my neighbor, but who was a neighbor to the one in need? How can I be a good neighbor? Right? Not who is my neighbor, but how can I be a neighbor? Right? That's the, Jesus turned it around. And then he said, go and do likewise Now remember the context, loving God and loving your neighbors yourself. They're intricately connected. May God give us the strength to show our love for him by loving our neighbors compassionately, courageously, and with steadfast commitment. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word for us today. This is a powerful story, and it was a shocker to those who heard it. And it's still a shocker for us today. We all have neighbors, and whether they're close, they live close, or they live far away, how can we be a good neighbor to those who are in need? Give us insight. Give us that kind of heart in Jesus' name. Amen.